This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wild of the West and all across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Today, we're interviewing Mitch Doherty, who's the conservation director of an organization called Vital Ground. They're in Missoula, Montana. And so, welcome, Mitch. It's good to be talking with you. And uh, how are things in Missoula? Thanks for having me, Jay. Things are well here and off to a good start in 2023. Oh, good. Okay. So, how long have you been with Vital Ground? Well, I joined the Vital Ground Foundation in uh, 2016. I started as the the land steward for the organization and uh, transitioned up into project development and management and uh, more recently became the conservation director of the organization. So uh, how old is Vital Ground? Uh, Vital Ground got its start in 1990 uh, down in the the great state of Utah, and uh, in the mid-2000s, we transitioned up to uh, Missoula, Montana. So, uh, who started it? How did it how did it get how did it get going? So, the Vital Ground Foundation was founded by Doug and Lynn Seuss, uh, who still live in the great state of Utah, and uh, Lynn continues to be on our board. And uh, they started the organization in 1990. Doug and Lynn were the trainers uh, and handlers of Bart the Bear, who folks might know from uh, several Hollywood flicks, including uh, my personal favorite, The Great Outdoors. So Doug and Lynn, when they started the organization, wanted to give back to Bart's wild cousins. And so they founded the organization and use some of the proceeds from those those Hollywood movies to um, create better habitat for grizzly bears and, and Bart's wild cousins. Why did they pick grizzly bears to focus on? Well, Bart was a, a large, large grizzly bear uh, that they had adopted as a, a young cub. And so as he grew older and came into the Hollywood scene, their affection with bears grew and uh, wanted to wanted to give back. So uh, is there a board of directors uh, today? Yeah, we, we have a board of directors that uh, spans the, the United States. So we have folks here in the Intermountain West, uh, some folks in the West Coast, uh, Midwest, and everywhere in between. I think right now we're just shy of 20, 20 board members, um, really? all wow. with very, very diverse backgrounds from folks that, you know, worked in grizzly bear research and management to, you know, folks that can help uh, with other aspects of the organization as well. And what's the source of funds today? Well, a lot of our work, it's a pretty diverse mix of funding for our work, Jay. You know, we are able to tap into a lot of public funding that's available for habitat protection. Um, And then we use a a mix of private dollars through individual donations and also through private foundations. Um, But really, you know, each of our projects is, is funded differently. And there's, you know, good federal funding and state funding available for habitat protections right now, especially in the the farm bill has a lot of funding available for agricultural land protection. And we see a lot of overlap with great wildlife habitat on some of these agricultural lands. And so we've been looking at a lot of funding through the farm bill. Additionally, there's there's money through the forest legacy program to protect forested lands across the state. 
And so we're able to use some of those funds and then we, we match those up with private dollars as well to sort of expand our, our capacity. So what's your responsibility with Phytoground? Well, as the conservation director, uh, several responsibilities for the organization. Um, I oversee our, our project development and management. So I work with landowners one-on-one on private voluntary conservation easements, and then also uh, work on land purchases as well for the organization. And then we have a stewardship program that we monitor our conservation easements in perpetuity, and so we oversee that work as well. So it's a, a multifaceted position. So uh, do you focus solely on the grizzly bear or uh, on grizzly habitat? Or do you have other uh, animals that you consider as well? Well, the Vital Ground Foundation is the only land trust solely dedicated to the protection of grizzly bear habitat. Mm-hmm. So that is our main focus. But we recognize, you know, grizzly bears being an un- umbrella species, the, the work we do is, you know, beneficial to, to all species. So if you think about good grizzly bear habitat, especially in Montana, Idaho, places like that, oftentimes, you know, we're looking at wetland habitat. And so, you know, we'll see benefits that stretch out to, you know, the amphibian world, uh, specifically in the fish habitat, things like that. Um, and then oftentimes, you know, some of the work we do in some of these wildlife corridors, you know, there's overlap there with some ungulate populations, whether it's, you know, mule deer uh, migration areas, or if it's elk winter range, things like that. So we recognize that, you know, the work we do uh, with grizzly bears being an umbrella species gets spread far beyond, you know, just, just those species specifically. So uh, does Vital Ground do research? Or do you keep data on grizzlies? So Vital Ground, you know, the the way we function and the way we sort of identify projects is we really, we lean on the experts out there in the field, whether they're folks in the research community folks in the bear management community, um, we really lean on those experts to guide our work. In 2018, we completed our our most recent conservation strategy with the help of probably 60 to 70 plus grizzly bear biologists, researchers from both the the state agencies, uh, federal agencies, and also um, the tribes as well across Montana, Idaho, and in Wyoming. And and those folks really help guide us to the most important critical areas that warrant some form of protection outside of the large, you know, protected public lands that we see out there in places like Glacier National Park and Yellowstone. So they really helped us focus in on the private lands where, you know, we can get the most bang for our buck in terms of helping the species recover to a sustainable population. So I think, you know, in, in our work, we've identified, you know, just under 800,000 acres of really important habitat out there that warrants some form of protection. And then we whittled that down with the help of those biologists and researchers down to just under 200,000 of what we what we deemed the, the top priority um, for private land protection. And so um, that's really where we're focused. So we don't do research per se ourselves. Again, we really lean on the folks that are, are in those fields and uh, oftentimes reach out to them to, to verify some of the work we're doing out there. So how far ranging in the Rockies do you look to preserve grizzly habitat? Yeah, so our service area encompasses all the northern Rockies. So we have information to, to support our work, you know, from 
places in eastern Washington through the panhandle of Idaho and most parts of Montana and um, down into Wyoming. We have funded some work up in Canada in the past and Alaska, um, but really the majority of our work right now is focused in Montana and northern Idaho. Not to say that we wouldn't look at projects in, in Washington and in Wyoming, but that's really where, where we found uh, ourselves the last few years. And so if you think about you know, I like to explain to folks that our work is really focused on where you might expect to see a grizzly bear right now or where you could expect to see one in the future as, you know, populations continue to expand. Is there a particular kind of habitat or are there characteristics of the properties that you are looking for uh, to preserve? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's a it's a good mix of of habitat. So I you know, at the kind of 30,000 foot level, I, I look at, you know, the, the core habitat that's out there for grizzly bears and other wildlife. Um, and then we look at buffer habitats that surround those sort of core areas. And then what's become increasingly more important is these linkage areas between these core areas. So um, places that lie between, say, you know, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem or the northern continental divide ecosystem you know, we have the opportunity to work in those areas to support wildlife movement between those two. But in terms of, you know, habitat specifics, um, we look at it all. We have a lot of projects uh, we've done with private landowners on, on forested properties in northwest Montana and over into, you know, eastern parts as well. And then also we have quite a few projects on ag land um, where you might see a, a thousand acres in production um, up in north Idaho. And, you know, canola fields or oat fields um, that lie within these really important linkage areas. And additionally, you know, much like the, the human population, bears like to spend a lot of time in the river bottoms. And so we find ourselves in a lot of these wetland habitats um, in, in valley bottoms as well, where, um, you know, wildlife likes to spend their time, but so do the rest of us because of all the amenities the, the rivers offer. So your founders are down in Utah, but as far as I know, there aren't any grizzlies in Utah, right? Not that I've heard of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's just their home base. And uh, we, we recognize that, you know, we probably needed to be a little closer to grizzly bear habitat. And so we moved the organization up there and it's here into Missoula in the early 2000s. Are there any grizzlies down in Colorado? Not that I am aware of. I think historically, uh, grizzly bears, you know, range extended from, you know, the northern parts of North America clear down to parts of Mexico. And, uh, right. you know, they uh, they expanded out into the prairie. They occupied, obviously, the more mountainous areas as well. Um, so at some point in time, we know there was probably some grizzlies in Colorado, but not any longer that I'm aware of. So uh, the, that historic range of grizzlies is is pretty extensive. They went out to the east too, didn't they? Uh, toward the toward the Mississippi, the Plain States. Yeah, quite a ways east. I think the Lewis and Clark uh, chronicles and, and journals, you know, had encounters with grizzly bears pretty far east, quite a bit further east than we're seeing, you know, grizzly bears these days. But uh, right. you know, as their populations continue to grow and expand, we're we're starting to see those those populations um, reach out into areas of you know eastern Montana that haven't seen bears probably in well over a hundred years. But there aren't any in in any of the southern border states, right? New Mexico or Arizona? 
No, not not that I'm aware of. And would it be your ambition to attempt to to introduce grizzlies further south? No, you know, our work is really focused uh, here in the northern Rockies. I think, you know, with the federal recovery plans that were established in the 70s and the recovery areas that were designated, you know, in the northern continental divide and greater Yellowstone and Bitterroot and Selkirk, Cabinet Yak and the North Cascades. Um, that's really where we're focusing on our efforts at the moment. Um, and no sort of intentions to expand beyond that. We've, we've got our work cut out for us up here. So have they migrated south into the Bitterroot yet? You know, it's been interesting, you know, tracking the, the bear news the last few years. We're starting to see, you know, a, a couple bears expanding, you know, and, and dispersing into areas of the northern Bitterroots and even further in the western parts as well. I've heard reports of bears on the Idaho side um, pretty far south. And so, yeah, we're starting to see that natural movement again um, out of the northern continental divide. Uh, I think some bears um, were actually tracked back up into the Selkirks as well. And so we're starting to see that movement north-south. Um, I think, though, that, you know, there's no established population per se in the Bitterroots at the moment. But we know as particularly the males, as they begin to disperse, um, they're probably the ones that are showing up in the northern Bitterroots. And so... We've had some reports here in Missoula locally in the last year or two of some bears coming through the Sapphire Range and crossing over into the Bitterroots. And then we know that we've seen some, some grizzlies on cameras um, in, in the northern Bitterroots as well. It likely came through the Lolo area. Do you know what the size of the grizzly populations are in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem and then in the northern continental divide ecosystem? Yeah, you know, I, I believe that they're they're recovering, and and um, I, I heard recent estimates, you know, somewhere around a thousand bears, or maybe just shy of that in the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem. And then I believe really? up in the wow. Northern Continental Divide ecosystem, you know, we're talking about numbers hovering right around a thousand as well, probably a little bit better better than that. So definitely a, a higher number there in the greater Yellowstone Northern Continental Divide ecosystems than you would find in say the Cabinet Yak or the Selkirks and then obviously more than the Bitterroot and uh, North Cascades. And so I think, you know, those populations in the Cabinet Yak and the Selkirk are quite a ways behind their, their uh, cousins in those other ecosystems. Do you have targets for what the size of populations are that you want to achieve? You know, as an organization, we don't. We really just kind of look at the science and, and rely on the experts to, to kind of guide us in terms of what are healthy numbers there. I mean, really, a lot of our work more recently has been focused on connecting these ecosystems. So right. we specifically have been seeking out projects in areas that lie between those, those larger populations um, in between mm -hmm. the state of Yellowstone ecosystem and the Northern Continental Divide ecosystem. And then we've also been looking at a lot of projects uh, in North Idaho and Northwest Montana that provide linkage between the Cabinet Yak, Selkirk, and then ultimately, you know, down south to the Bitterroot as well. And so I think that's where we've been really focusing a lot of our energy and where we get a lot of support, you know, from, from supporters of Vital Ground. Mm -hmm. So Vital Ground is a land trust, isn't that right? We are. We're an accredited land trust, been, been around since 1990, and uh, yeah, plan to be around for quite a bit longer. And what are the techniques that you're using in order to uh, 
preserve grizzly habitat. So much like other land trusts across the state, our our conservation tool uh, of choice is the conservation easement. So conservation easement is a, a agreement uh, between our organization and a private landowner, a voluntary agreement, I should say, to conserve habitat, limit development and improvements to improve wildlife habitat or, or ensure that habitats protected in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, you know, our organization includes another tool and, and we do purchase land across Montana and Idaho and hold that for conservation purposes. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, we also will work with partners such as, you know, the U.S. Forest Service um, and also with tribes and state agencies on habitat protection projects that result, you know, either in federal or state or tribal ownership. So those are the three main habitat protection tools we use. And then one other um, tool we use to help accomplish our mission is the conflict prevention grants program we have. We call the Partners Grant Program. And so we deploy funds to folks on the ground working on conflict prevention work uh, between bears and people. So uh, what kind of cooperation do you find among landowners do you approach and want to uh, uh, impose uh, or acquire easements for protection. Yeah, you know, we're we're quite opportunistic um, and we're fortunate that, you know, we're working in a a pretty large service area and we find ourselves in situations where, you know, we have landowners that are, you know, willing and, and voluntarily coming forward to pursue conservation easements with our organization. I mean, it works pretty well that way when we can sort of match up our mission and our goals, you know, with a landowner's vision for their property long term. Um, it, it's it's quite the partnership. Is there money involved in these uh, easements that you acquire? You know, there can be. Um, there's there's a lot of different ways to package these conservation easements and conservation projects in general. Um, in some instances, landowners, you know, wish to donate a conservation easement, and those are certainly the easiest for organizations like ourselves to, to move forward. And in some instances, we're able to, um, you know, find funding and um, work with a landowner to purchase a conservation easement as well. So we use we use all, of, all the financial tools in the toolbox as well. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, there's quite a few federal and state programs available that, you know, um, we can tap into funding to help compensate a landowner that's, you know, willing to, to conserve their property. And I should also mention, too, that at the local level, in some counties around the state, we have bond initiatives um, where citizens of, you know, certain counties have gotten together and said, these values are important to us. Um, and we want to support those. And so in places like Missoula County, we're able to tap into those local bond funds to help uh, bring these conservation easements um, to life. Are there tax benefits for those who put an easement on their property? There certainly can be for folks um, that wish to pursue that. Because we're a 501c3 charitable organization, um, you know, folks are able to pursue um, you know, deductions and, and so on with some of these donated conservation easements. Mm-hmm. So, uh, connectivity between grizzly bear populations uh, is an important objective. What do you do in order to achieve that connectivity? Well, it kind of starts, you know, at the planning level first. And so, 
we have an idea of the most important areas uh, for connectivity between some of these ecosystems. And from there, you know, we look at the viability of some of these areas. We look for places that have, you know, minimal development um, where there's still opportunity for good conservation work. And from there, you know, we can pursue um, certain conservation projects in, in certain areas. And also, you know, we'll look at funding that's available in those areas to sort of match all of that up. So at its most basic level, you know, we're, we're starting from a planning process. And from there, we're working with landowners to sort of bring these projects forward. And then, you know, once we have a completed project in an area, it's, it's a great anchor to build off of. Uh, we can work with neighbors um, and other interested parties in that area to sort of expand the conservation footprint and really, you know, secure a, a permeable path between these ecosystems. How do you deal with uh, highway separations, particularly the interstate system, when you're seeking connectivity? Do you, do you play a role in getting uh, safe crossings for highways? Yeah, that's a that's a great question too. You know, these these transportation routes are, you know, significant barriers for wildlife movement, and there's a lot of a lot of energy right now behind improving, um, you know, wildlife passage both over and under these these transportation routes. You know, I-90 has pretty high traffic volumes, um, comparatively speaking. When you look at I-15, a little bit lower. Um, so when when we look at you know our conservation projects and our priorities, we do evaluate these barriers, um, and in some instances, we we look at um, opportunities out there in the transportation infrastructure to utilize what's already on the ground. So for instance, here close to Missoula in the Nine Mine Valley, we acquired a, a 50 acre property that sat adjacent to a bridge that spanned the Clark Fork River where we know there's been at least one or two grizzly bears that have crossed under Interstate 90 here and, and moved between the, the Bitterroot and uh, the Nine Mile Valley there. And so we were able to sort of build off that existing infrastructure and provide that security down the road for wildlife. I think additionally, you know, there's, I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of energy behind these wildlife crossings right now. Um, and we're seeing some federal funds being allocated to improve wildlife crossings. And here at the state, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, grassroots efforts pick up as well, which is, which is really exciting. What are the actions or acquisitions that you, you that you're most proud of? What what are your greatest accomplishments? Yeah, that that is a really great question. You know, I I thoroughly in my position at the the Vital Ground Foundation, I really really enjoy working with landowners. But there's nothing better than going out there and kicking some dirt around with, you know, someone that's been managing a property for for generations. Um, uh-huh. And so. There's been some great projects with folks in the egg and ranch community, um, both here in Montana and Idaho, that I'm very proud of. There's also some really small projects, um, you know, on the smaller scale that are um, really exciting. I'm also, you know, really, really proud of as well. And the, the Nine Mile project I mentioned earlier is sort of a, a standout as well as one of the earlier acquisitions I was fortunate enough to work on. And I think. You know, we're starting to see some some movement around that, no pun intended, but right now we're having conversations about improving that underpass under the bridge there, um, working with MDT to, um, you know, fence some of that area to sort of funnel wildlife under that bridge, and ultimately, 
you know, we'll have a safer, more secure pathway for wildlife, but also for folks that use these transportation routes, it's going to be safer for them in the long run and less less collisions with wildlife. So lots to be proud of. The grizzly's on the state flag of California, but it's now extinct all along the Pacific coast. Would it be feasible for grizzlies to return or be returned to the Sierra in Northern California? Yeah, uh, you know, California is a, a pretty diverse and a, a pretty large, large state. And I have heard some some inquiries about grizzlies returning to California. We've had some conversations with folks down there that are interested in it. Um, whether or not I'll ever see it in my lifetime is, you know, another question. But um, again, you know, Vital Grounds really, really focused here in the northern Rockies. And, and we've really got our, our work cut out for us. And um, you know, hard to say the Sierras are a, a, a big range and, uh, you know, maybe someday they could support a grizzly population again. You don't have, there are no grizzlies in Oregon right now? No, not that I, not that I know of, but what's interesting yeah. is their neighbors to the north um, are starting to see more and more um, grizzly activity in the eastern side of the state there. Um, eastern so the Washington. Selkirk, eastern Washington, correct. Yeah. You know, the Selkirk range expands over into the eastern part of Washington there and the, the you know, annual reports that come out from monitoring from the, the research community are showing, you know, that bears are, are moving a little bit more over there and they've, they've found a few more bears. Um, not quite the same story for the North Cascades yet, but, um, you know, that, that might be changing in the future as well. Do you find movement between uh, uh, the U.S. and Canada uh, of grizzly bears? Oh, quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm probably more in tune with what's happening on the, the Selkirk side of things. Um, you know, and they're starting to see, and they always have seen quite a bit of transboundary movement there um, with the grizzly population between Canada and, and the U.S. And uh, I suspect it's always been the case, um, uh, you know, in the Northern Continental Divide ecosystem where, you know, we have Glacier National Park that, you know, shares a boundary with Waterton. Um, on the Canadian side, and then all that wild habitat as well in between. If we think about the North Fork of the Flathead Valley and some of those places, it's it's pretty easy for those bears to be moving across the border without their passports. Right. The grizzly bear is currently on the on the endangered species list. Is that right? It is. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, how how serious do you think the effort is to? Uh, I've heard of efforts to delist the grizzly bear uh do you think do you take that seriously uh, you know that's a conversation that's been going on for quite some time and i think you know what we've seen recently here in the state of montana is um you know uh, folks have been looking into it and uh, the state's developed a new plan that folks have been weighing in on and 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 we'll see you know Vital Ground is an organization I, I get asked a lot about the, the delisting question. Um, and, you know, we've we've had the conversation quite a bit, you know, as an organization. And the conclusion we've, you know, come to is that re- regardless of a, a listing status for grizzly bears, um, they're still going to need the same habitat and they're still going to continue to be important areas that are unprotected. And, you know, we have a job to do to, to, to work in those unprotected areas and secure additional habitat. Um, and so that's really where we're focusing our energy right now. It, it's not so much on the delisting topic itself as it is, is protecting the, the habitat that's, that's out there. 
So we're just about out of time, but uh, how do people uh, get more information about what Vital Ground is doing? Do you have a website? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's uh, www.vitalground.org. Uh, you can find a lot of information about our organization there. You can read about our most recent projects, a lot about our past, um, and some of the work we're, we're hoping to tackle in the future here. And there's there's great contacts for, for staff there as well. And I encourage folks that are interested to learn more to, to reach out. Uh, that's great. Well, Mitch, thank you very much. We've uh, exhausted our time, but appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, and I wish you well on Vital Grand. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Jay. Take care. Our guest today has been Mitch Doherty, Conservation Director for Vital Ground, based in Missoula, Montana. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.com and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.